Breakfast puppies? This podcast contains adult language and content and is meant for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Glitter Boys. You know, there's nothing that says early childhood to me like giant robots and drugged up samurai. There was this vast explosion in the late 80s and early 90s of just different different forms of, of role-playing game. There were adaptations of things like uh, Ice doing Lord of the Rings. There was Battletech with, with 50-foot-tall robots and heat sinks and lots of crunchy numbers that Matthew loved and NPC probably hated. And <laughs> there was... There was Shadowrun and and all kinds of different things that that came out during that period. And today we're going to revisit some of the things. Oh yeah, there was this little thing called Palladium. Uh, <laughs> they, they they had some games too. Um, we're we're going to talk about some of the other games that came out during that time. Yeah, Rifts is one of the games that has inspired me as a GM and player and game developer most. But around that same time, when I was getting into gaming, like pretty hardcore, there were a few other games which had a, a heavy influence on my imagination and the way that I liked to game. And we wanted to take some time to kind of talk about the other things that inspired us and why we keep coming back to Rift. <laughs> yeah, our, our early game systems. Now, I actually had a hard moment trying to figure it out because most of my early game stuff, trying to figure out, you know, what out there besides second edition of D&D that there was to play was Palladium. There was uh, Robotech, which I played. There was Rifts that I played. There was a brief, brief, brief moment of Battletech before somebody moved and took all their books with them. Um, (laughs) There was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, I never played Battletech. You know, judging by the styles, I don't think you'd like it. It's, It's cumbersome. You have to keep an eye on your heat gauges. You can't just hand wave a lot of stuff. It's a crunchy system. Mm, Okay. I do like some crunch now. Okay. When I've looked at the sheets to it, I was immediately like, oh, God, (laughs) too much. (laughs) You know how I say that um, Palladium is great because they, they never reinvented the wheel and tried to resell it to you? Battletech was almost the opposite. They never quite got a wheel, but they got the wagon rolling with trapezoids and 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 different shapes that almost rolled down the road, but they really had to to get a system that worked. And I fuck, I still don't think they really found it, which is a shame because there's all this lore, there's some decent books, there's all this art. I did get briefly immersed in the Battletech lore in my early 20s when somebody I know mm-hmm. who was really into the Battletech universe but had gotten really fed up with the rules, decided to try an experimental mini campaign. We only played like six or seven sessions, I think. But the premise was, it's Battletech, but we're not actually going to do any of the fights. So all of the action (laughs) happened between battles. And Mm -hmm. then what we would do is we wouldn't even like build up all of that stuff about the, the robot. We would, on the sheet at least, we wouldn't deal with the mechanics. We just kind of hand wave what happened in the fight in between whenever somebody was going to be deployed, whenever there was a new drop coming up, we just roll quickly roll some dice to determine the outcome of that. And right. then once we get back to what happened afterwards, we, you know, let that affect our character some way or we'd even make stuff up. 
Like, yeah. you know, oh God, yeah. Or what, that time when when I pulled you out of that, you know, bunker or something like that. It was, it was pretty fun. I just didn't know the lore as much as I think I would have, as, as much as I think I should have in order to truly enjoy that game. I think it was just an excuse to sell great pictures of big battle mechs. Um, the rules, at least at least to a young Matthew, the rules have never worked. And I haven't I haven't been back to see if I could make it work. But I do know they've done like six editions since then, and it's it's still pretty rough from 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 what I hear. Speaking of nineties games with six editions, Shadowrun was the one that I was super, super, super into all throughout high school. Like Palladium is my first love and my longest. Shadowrun was probably the biggest love of of me and my game crew and my sophomore through senior years of high school. We played so much Shadowrun. And at the time for us, uh, we mostly played second edition. And we, oh dear God, we had, we had, oh man, we started a LARP accidentally. A sh- accidentally oh, really? started a Shadowrun LARP because I was running a Shadowrun game and we played two nights a week every week. Everybody was so into it. And we ended up getting about getting to about 10 players. And we moved the game to this gazebo out in the middle of a park, a public park. And the gazebo was well away from the sites of the street. So nobody would actually see us out there. So we all played at this gazebo at night with, uh, you know, camping lights and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it kept growing and growing. At one point, we had 22 players. <laughs> I was still the yeah, GM, you had a LARP. <laughs> but I had other people now helping me, and we basically turned it into a LARP. You know, speaking of LARP, there's something missing from this list of our pre-discussion that really should have been included. I don't know what you're talking about. There there weren't any other LARPing games in the 90s. What are you talking it about? It certainly weren't, weren't enough <laughs> anything about, you know, blood-sucking vampires and wolves and mages and something like that. It just sounds boring. Yeah, I showed up to one of those once. I was going down to my game store, and I think it was to buy something from Rifts, and I forget what it was. But there was a, a a vampire werewolf thing happening in that little mini mall in the you know little walking area where people will sit down, and you know there's like a tree planted and whatnot. And yeah, they were going at it, like really going at it. And I was like, that's interesting. And I did that for a couple of months, but it was here's here's where we differ. It wasn't crunchy enough for me. Uh, it was way too open-ended. What, what's the storyteller? Who hands down the rulings? <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, there was also at that time, it should be noted, Vampire the Masquerade, um, that, that whole series by White Wolf. Yeah, which is, thank, I'm thankful that Vampire happened. I was never into vampires at all. But someday, one day somebody decided, you know, this Anne Rice thing is pretty popular. Let's turn it into a game and get actual women to play yeah, role-playing games. And they succeeded. Yeah. And then some. It was it transformed a lot of the gaming scene at the time. And my hometown was no exception. We had a lot of vampire players. Fortunately, all of us wanted to game like all the time. So mm. the people who were playing vampire would also sometimes play in our Shadowrun games or sometimes we play in their D games. There was just this thriving culture of so many games and everybody wanted to play all of them. Yeah. I was personally fond of the werewolf. That that's my favorite from that system, for obvious reasons. Physically, that's definitely my favorite of the books because it had mm. that sweet slash through the cover. Yeah, and it had that Tony Ditterlizzi introductory comic book to it. 
Yeah, it was it was a real good start to a series right there. There was some pretty interesting stuff that was like uh, around the edges of the actual game itself. Like there's this, uh, uh, I still have my old copy of the Book of Nod, which is a yeah. biblical re- reinterpretation of uh, the vampire story. Probably uh, where, you know, they stole it from Anne Rice and Anne Rice stole it back and called it Memnock the Devil. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I we can't go through that time without talking about... Uh, about Vampire the Masquerade because that that was a big thing. Like everybody, whether you will admit it now or not, everybody kind of played it then, or at least knew about it, or knew someone who played it and had seen it being played. It was it was it was really big at the time. I only LARPed it a few times, but I know I played in a number of tabletop campaigns. I remember the LARPing, however, got the most attention. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't it? Live action role playing game. The whole purpose is to get attention. So of course, yeah. it was talked about a lot. I played in a couple of LARPs, and I remember. Well, let me rephrase that. I played in a couple of vampire LARPs for a very short period of time. Much later, I would play at a lot of LARPs, but none of them were vampire. But anyway, right? Vampire LARPs. My my memory of something that somebody once said to me that I believe they're true was in a vampire LARP both. Human and player, you will meet some of the finest and the most awful examples of both categories. Some of the most amazing players and the shittiest players and the most amazing people and some of the shittiest people. Like all in the same room together at extremes, rarely at middle ground. And I'm not really sure where I fell into those categories because when I casually wandered in, it was a battle between uh, the vampires and the werewolves. I took over the werewolves, destroyed the vampires that afternoon, and I think I ruined someone's well-thought-out campaign, and I feel real bad about it to this day. But there, there were some glaring holes, and we were supposed to kill them, right? That was the whole plan. So, better and the worst. Yeah, both. Well, if any of you listeners are folks who attended Dragon Con between the years of 1999 and 2004 and made your way to the LARP floor... And if you remember a LARP called Streetwise, you should talk to me. Maybe I'll tell you some stories about how we did crossovers with our Urban Warfare Pimps and Hoes game and the two different vampire LARPs. (laughs) And it was glorious. I was a dragon during those years, but I was the drunk guy in the pool most of the time. What's another one from the 90s that really, like, inspired you? You know, I'm not sure if it's 90s. It might be 80s. Uh, But, uh... Merp, Middle Earth role playing. I was a huge token nerd growing up. My dad read me the books as a child, like every night. He would he would read another chapter. We and uh, he did that twice. I remember Merp as the '90s version because I had mm-hmm. the, the second edition collectors, the hardback that was made in the '90s. But I'm pretty damn sure it was from the '80s. I think yeah. the one I had was it was uh, a box set, mm-hmm. and. It, it, that was my first experience with having something where you didn't have all the pieces to play it because my parents knew shit fuck all about <laughs> role playing and but they knew I loved Lord of the Rings and they're like oh he's getting into role playing let's get him this Lord of the Rings thing oh 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 was it Middle Earth role playing that you got or was it the Lord of the Rings adventure game uh, I'm not sure it's been gone for a long time. Did it time. have like pre-scripted adventure and some pre-made characters like Tolman Green? It did, yeah. And Rhea, uh, let's see if I can remember. Rilwyn? Yeah, uh, Galland? Uh, no, I had the same box set. I was obsessed oh, with Oh, okay, it. cool. <laughs> I've got the whole damn collection of that. They only made two additional adventures. 
Oh, yeah. I want to look at yours one of these days just to re- revisit it. But I that one is ninety through that. Yeah. Okay, I poured through that. Read it and reread it and reread it. That was uh, beyond D and D. That was my first. That was my first experience with with anything uh, role playing. Was that that box set? I remember that was the first gaming book I ever possessed. I remember that, and I've read. It was the first adventure. It was called uh, mm-hmm. "Darker Than the Darkness," and it was about fighting some bandits and going into a barrow mound in this adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was the same book. Yep. Nice. Yeah, and I remember it kept referencing rules, but I didn't have the rules book. All I had was this yeah. adventure. So I made up my own rules <laughs> how to do these things. <laughs> and I ended up running that for some people and they thought it was fantastic. And then later they came up to me. They're like, you know, I remember getting the book later and uh, the rules just weren't as good as the ones you made. <laughs> I was like, thanks. <laughs> I was like 12. <laughs> Woo. Oh, God, that's funny. I suppose that there was other stuff happening, but I, I wasn't really into it. Like GURPS, that happened around that time, wasn't it? Yeah, I knew some people that were big into GURPS. Yeah, there was, isn't Traveler from that time? I think 90s? so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little gray when it comes to the 80s and 90s because so much it of that blurred. was D&D, But then there are all yeah. these that I think are rooted in the 80s, but like really hit their stride in the 90s. We should probably talk about Second Ed. I, oh, Second Ed was... I I have some fond memories of Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition. Yeah, yeah, me too. Just there, there was something. It, it was still. I want to say it was still pure. It wasn't written by committee. You know, it was. It was still horrible and unbalanced and just just wonderful. And half of that might be nostalgia. Older players might have a different view of it. But I was I was a a teen a tween and a teen for that. And it was just this, this glorious thing. And there was the forgotten realms and there was Dragonlance, and there was all these freaking books. And, you know, some of them were almost passable books. So many great settings. This was before I was offended by dark elves and annoyed by them. I mean, (laughs) I never got into the whole worshiping of a game designer thing. Like even we're a palladium podcast and palladium is what, like 99% Kevin Savita, but we don't worship the man and he's human. He's got his flaws and there are many as, as, as I have many flaws, Matthew has many flaws. We all have many flaws. I'm just not going to worship a developer. And I, as such, I never worshiped Gary Gygax. Like a lot of gamers of that time did. And a lot of new Renaissance old school, the OSR crowd does. I thought second edition was better than first edition. And I will defend that to my dying breath. It was. Yeah. I think it was. No, it, abso- it absolutely was. It was much more approachable. It explained itself better. It didn't have Gary's weird sexist issues. It was just, to me, a better game. Yeah. No. And you're entirely right. Second edition. Because I've, I later went back and got the red, blue, and blacks of original D&D. And it's rough. It's just rough. You know, it's. It's it's small. It's it's something you'd see someone hand to you at a gaming convention when they couldn't afford the table to sell it at. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, hey, you want to buy some role playing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to bash that because that's kind of what Mechanoids was. Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't realized. Second edition was 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 great. It's fantastic. It's still fantastic. I I have my books back there. Yeah. Yeah. Second Ed, I mean, all the settings and 
and the Encyclopedia of Magicka, over 4 yeah. million combinations of magical items and abilities. Those are on my please take if the house is burning shelf. Those four yeah. original print leather bound copies. And then you had some some of the great settings too. And some of them that didn't make it. Like, I mean, Lankmar is there from from Fafford and the Grey Mouser. Spelljammer. Remember uh, Spelljammer? I loved Spelljammer. It was so silly. It was ridiculously fun. The Forgotten Realms. Dragonlance. Uh, what was some of the other ones? Al-Kadim was one. Uh, Dark Sun was probably the most memorable. And Planescape. With Red Steel. I mean, this, yeah, Planescape was a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. this is where you're starting to get like CDs with with tails on them and uh, music for the settings. Like there was a lot <laughs> yeah. of stuff that happened then. DVDs that would teach you the game and stuff. Yeah. Well, CD-ROMs. Yeah, yeah. CD-ROMs. No, there was a lot of cool stuff that came out in that time. And this is really like, this was the explosion of everyone else. Now, I don't know if you consider it a board game or wargaming, but Warhammer came out at the same time and it was pretty cool. It's called Rogue Trader. It was pretty badass. Oh, the, the have some figures, the tabletop minis. I just never got into minis. I remember even like I would be a, a kid and going into the curio shops in the mall or the tinderbox and whatnot. And they always had like the, the cabinet of weird pewter things with the dragons and the wizards. And I always thought those mm-hmm. were cool, but I always just wanted to like sit them somewhere and then look at them and never do anything with them. I was never one who wanted to like make things battle because the minis on the table were just nowhere near as cool as what was happening in my head. My first real second ed uh, GM, I'm still friends with her. Her name is Danny. She was an, uh, still is an amazing GM. Would craft these amazing, amazing, intricate games. She would sit down. She'd take hits from her Pegasus or her Dragon Bong, <laughs> and we would play for almost twenty hours. Oh, those are the days. We, we'd smoke and it, way too many cigarettes, and you know, because nineties, and yeah, and just like you, you would live that character, and then. Then you'd have to, you know, go back to whatever fast food job or <laughs> retail place you were working at. But I mean, yeah. it was it was beautiful and wonderful, and yeah, yeah, just a lot of memories of the games that we played and the time that we had available to play them. I think there's a big part of it right there uh, the 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 freedom to play. What I really liked though is that at that time there were so many different games to play. Like now, there's also a lot of games to play, but. I think maybe that it could lead to there being too many choices. So everybody oh, is absolutely. just defaulting to the one true whatever game that is fifth edition. It's hard to find a game that's not D&D 5e these days. But when I was a kid, when I was in my 20s, it was just like, we want to play this or we want to play this or we want to play that. It was always a different game, different game every almost every time. And I, I miss it. I miss that. I miss being able to talk about another game to another gamer and them knowing what I'm talking about. Yeah, there is. I mean, it's it's great that you have all this indie publishing capability. I mean, that that's fantastic. But at the same time, it feels like it's glutted. Like you, you could find something and not find anyone else who plays it nearby. Yeah, that's that's a problem with indie games is you get this game that has this very small, very laser focused premise 
and you want to play this game, you you basically have to hunt down people and introduce it to them or wrangle your group and trying to convince them on an off night. Hey, yeah. you know, Susie and Johnny didn't make it tonight. So we're playing this. Yeah. Anyway, we didn't have that much problem with it in when I was a teenager, because I wouldn't say that I grew up in a small town, but I grew up in a small city and we were never lacking for players wanting to join our game. I grew up in a very small town, uh, population like less than a hundred. So I, I only really got to play at school. And then in later life, when I, you know, moved nearer to Seattle, the, the, you know, there was much more opportunity then. And I think that was, that was why I may have just read things and gotten so into art and stories and, and, and things like that. Because at the beginning there, there was no one to play with like nobody. Like that's a book. I want to go ride dirt bikes. Well, fuck you go ride dirt bikes. God damn, man. Fucking open a book. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh man. I'm sorry. That's sad. Yeah, I was I was far beyond where the sidewalk ended. And reading one looked good around there. The only other game that comes to mind when I think of the 90s is it's a sad story. And I, I talked about it in a couple episodes ago when we were what was what were we talking about? Um God, I've already forgotten. Whatever, two episodes ago. Anyway, uh, I was talking about how there's no more of this game. You know, how one of the sad things about being into a game and when that game ends is there's no more of that game. And with Shadowrun, for example, Shadowrun is a great game that I was into. And there's always more. They They keep making more. They keep expanding the setting further. If I really wanted to, I could go back and continue to play Shadowrun. I could find Shadowrun players, and maybe I could even convince them to try an earlier edition of the game. Yeah. With Palladium, I can always find Palladium players. The game keeps coming out, therefore I can always find new players, and we can talk to them. We can we can hey let's let's try this combination of settings or whatever. Especially if you're a Palladium fan, then you're into that whole mismatch thing. But the best part is that you know there's going to be more, and you can always vibe when a new book comes out. You can carry the setting forward. This one is to me a sad story, which was a game called Alternity. Oh right, it is the last yeah. game that TSR ever made, and it's a science fiction role playing game that has some roots in D and D, but it takes the math in a different direction it's a lot more complex it's a lot crunchier to me it is a fantastic game i love the math of it a lot of people didn't but the biggest thing that was working against alternity is that right after it came out tsr was going bankrupt wizards of the coast bought them and then it was nothing but third edition yeah many alternative books were published after the game line was canceled because they had the books and they were in the publishing schedule, but the game had been announced as canceled. But they're like, well, we've got these books ready to go. Let's publish them anyway. So it's it, it was really sad. Reading this last few weeks, the introductions to these books again makes it even more sad because the writers all have these about this book. You know, the, the, the author's note at the beginning, the foreword, where they talk about how excited they are that they created this thing and how this was like the greatest undertaking that they had done of their career and how they were looking forward to seeing where things go. And I'm just looking at my shelf where I have everything and it barely, it just barely fills one Ikea cubby. You sent me those, didn't you? You gave me spare copies. I think I might have given you one or two. Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't read them. I should. 
if you want to put together a game NPC, I'll play it with you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Keep that in mind. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Alternative was a game that was, it came out in the very late nineties, but it's still technically a nineties game. That game just inspired me so much because I'd never really gotten much into sci-fi gaming. Mm-hmm. I played Star Frontiers and I think I played a little bit of Traveler, but it wasn't until Alternity, for some reason, that's when that it just sunk its teeth into my brain and I wanted more. And it's sad because it was there released was no and immediately yeah. closed, but they had all of these plans and you can see all of these things that they're building up in the book. Just like we talked about with Wormwood, they're setting these, these plans for yeah. more, these seeds for the future that you know they're going to do something with and then they never got to. Well, let's make it really clear. Wizards of the Coast has a lot to answer for. Yep. Yep. High crimes, high crimes and misdemeanors. <laughs> but to bring it all back around, those were fun. All of them were fun, especially like I enjoyed, I enjoyed Vampire and I enjoyed Second Ed tremendously. But the real shining star of the 90s to me was Palladium. First with Robotech as I moved into my actual less G.I. Joe, more go outside and maybe talk to other humans face, you know, as, as, I, as I became more human, came more online, was, was Robotech and then, and then Riffs. I mean, those, those were incalculably had a, this huge effect on me. They just had this <laughs> this amazing effect, which as you can tell, as I'm sitting here in my 40s talking about a 35-year-old game, it, it's, yeah, it's it's it was the biggest game of the 90s to me. There were others. There's always others. But that was, that was the, the, the seminal moment. That was the watershed. That was, that was the, the biggest thing of the 90s was Palladium's books. Whenever we had a game night that fell through for Shadowrun, anybody who showed up, we'd pull out our Palladium characters and pick up where we left off with some bullshit side adventure or whatnot. Whenever Dungeons & Dragons failed to work because parents got a little upset because they saw the words D&D and they thought, "Ooh, Satan, we'd pull our Palladium books out because they had no idea what that was and we'd play Palladium. Which is way worse. It's like, metal way, fuck. Way okay. worse, more brutal. Seriously, if they if parents had read the Enchanted Cauldron, <laughs> we would have never gotten to play that. But Palladium was the one that we kept coming back to. It was the one that really fueled our imaginations. The worlds in the Palladium fantasy game, the the, the endless possibilities of rifts, we just kept coming back to it. You could Go forward and have some crazy cocaine-fueled Shadowrun adventure. The characters, mm-hmm. not the players. And when that was over, we'd come back and we'd pick up with some Rifts or some Heroes Unlimited. And I'd drop more helicopters on people because I sucked at that game. <laughs> and <laughs> we, we just, again, yeah, like I look back at all of my gaming memories. And despite running a goddamn 22-person Shadowrun LARP for half a year, despite having so many Shadowrun books that I've still carried over, despite looking through character sheets and thinking of all the times that I had, I still have more fond memories of my Palladium sessions and characters. Absolutely. I think Palladium was exciting for me because it was, it was more my discovery. Like this wasn't introduced to me. This was something, this was one of the few books that I picked out and bought myself. You know, uh, my, I, I bought a copy of my player's handbook uh, AD&D, but that's, that's all I had bought before that. 
until I went out and started buying Robotech and then Riffs. Um, that was a lot of lawns. That was a lot of post holes. I grew up out in the country. If you've never dug a post hole for 10 acres of land through a forest of roots, you know how much my riff book means to me. <laughs> Mom, I know you're not listening. And I want to thank you, first, for not listening, because no. But I also <laughs> want to thank you because you did a really cool thing for me on my 13th or 14th birthday, I think. You were somewhere around there. For Christmas, my mom never bought into the satanic panic thing. Thank bless her heart. She was actually thought it was really cool that we were all hanging out and not doing drugs and getting women pregnant. So my parents too, yeah, yeah. So she actually one year for my birthday went out and bought me the AD and D second edition player's handbook Dungeon Master Guide Monster Manual. She wrapped them in a ribbon and gave them to me for my birthday, and I was like, "This is the coolest fucking present I've ever gotten before or since." I've gotten some cool presents in my life, but that coming from my mom was amazing. Yeah. But mom, thank you for that. But I'm glad you're not listening because I want you to know that even though you got me those books, I got infinitely more mileage out of my Palladium Fantasy First Edition game book. (laughs) 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 I actually took all the monsters from D&D, converted to Palladium, and then ran Palladium. (laughs) Oh. And Palladium, uh, I just should be noted that you can do that <laughs> with one book. <laughs> Perfect bound. <laughs> I, uh, well, there, there's some there's some honorable mentions we can toss out there. I mean, because there were a lot of one-offs that were at the back of every comic book, like Creatures and Caverns or Tunnels and Trolls, which were, you know, the D&D knockoffs. Um, there, was, there was a lot of one shots that never quite made it. I don't think anyone ever played them. There are people out there who still have diehard fandoms for some of the more obscure games. Eight billion people on the planet, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. We don't encounter them all that often. Yeah. When you find them, you have to pin them to a board like a rare butterfly. I can't think of any others that were big for, for our group. Not it was yeah, not for me. D Palladium, White Wolf, Shadowrun. And for me, at least in the end, it was Alternity. But yeah, yeah. so forgetting Alternity, because it really wasn't big on our groups, so D&D, Palladium, Shadowrun, White Wolf. I want to say there was one military, uh, modern military one. It wasn't based off Vietnam or it wasn't based off the Korean War. What was it? It wasn't Recon. Was it Moro Project? No. I can't remember. If you can remember, please leave a comment in the comment section below. Was it kind of horror-based? No, okay. no, mm-hmm. it wasn't. It, it was, it was just, fuck, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Never played it. A lot of people I know did though. Yeah. That's all I got. That was, that was a fun little trip down nostalgia lane though. Yeah. I would say that of those eras and the games that we mentioned, my biggest nerd cred would have been the fact that I played way more Wraith than I did all of the other White Wolf games combined. <laughs> <laughs> That's how goth I was. Yeah, I, I was too hick to be that gothy. Um, definite, definite werewolf. So what was the one game of that time that you wish you had played in its heyday that you never did? Traveler. We dabbled with it a tiny yeah. bit. and then, But I never actually like played, played it. Always wanted to play Traveler to give it a good run. And I listened to other people's Traveler stories... I really wish that I had had the chance to do that because it sounds right up my alley. Yeah. 
Uh, mine would be Battletech. And I missed Traveler 2. I was aware of its existence. I was peripherally connected to it, but I, it just never worked out. And when, when you're around the forums as much as you and I are, you, you, you hear these, these fond Traveler tales or, oh, they just spun off another Traveler. Yeah. And I'm like, God, I wish I knew what that meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Same. I wish I could share in the joy of people's Traveler stories. Yeah. Well, let's end it on that high note. I wish I could share in the joy of something that I'll never get back from my nostalgic youth. That's a high note, right? Those things from our nostalgic youth are fortunately still in publication today because we're here making a podcast about them. Yeah. Palladium, going strong. We're going to keep buying your books and we will be excited about every one that comes out. Absolutely. You know, we should nod to to the future too because with all the indie games coming out, some of them are making it like all the um, all the shops I go to kids with bikes is there. That's India's that's India's fuck. I, I backed mean, that on Kickstarter. Yeah, I've got the sequel teens in space. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. It's a great book. <laughs> there is there is actually a, a bright future in role playing games. And I think that has been aided immeasurably by uh, the pandemic. Oh, God. Yeah. People are reconnecting in any way possible. And getting less and less with their headsets over Xbox Live and actually sitting down and, and talking and rolling dice and eating god-awful snacks that will kill you in 40 years. <laughs> but, I mean, th- those those are the golden years. And I love that that kids are, are still doing that. I love walking into a gaming store and seeing the youngins going at it, getting excited over something. That, that makes me feel old and happy. Same. As much yeah. as I want to be really, really grumpy about everything yeah. being 5th edition, I just can't be. Yeah, like they're that. That's that's their addition. That's that's their time, and they're they're loving it. And thirty years from now, they're going to have podcasts about their stories with Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. And we still won't have Mechanoid Space. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> You've been listening to The Glitter Boys, a Palladium Books fan podcast. Glitter Boys, Rifts, the Megaverse, and all other such topics are the property of Kevin Sambita and Palladium Books. Please buy all their stuff and help keep them in print and making more games. You can order directly at palladiumbooks.com, and their entire catalog is available digitally at DriveThruRPG as well. Our opening music is 8-Bit Bass and Lead by Furby Guy from freesound.org. This closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross, available at freemusicarchive.org. All sound effects used are self-made or acquired via Creative Commons Zero License. If you like what you have heard, find us on Twitter and Facebook as The Glitter Boys. That's B-O-I-S. And check us out online at breakfastpuppies.com slash glitterboys. And also join us on the Breakfast Puppies Network Discord at breakfastpuppies.com slash discord. And if you want to help us out, please spread the word and help us build a community. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. 